Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. It's been a while since I've, we've been in Acts. It's been three Sundays. So for the, if you're like me, you have no idea what happened in the last seven days of your life. I'll bring us back up to speed where we were. Three Sundays ago, I preached a message in Acts 21 entitled, Defense Wins Championships. Where we're at, the Apostle Paul has concluded his third missionary journey. He's headed back to Jerusalem against the advice and counsel of his friends and co-laborers. They're telling him, don't go back to Jerusalem. It's not safe for you there. He's saying, God has led me back to Jerusalem. I'm going to live for him no matter if it's safe or not. He gets to Jerusalem. He recounts to James, one of the church leaders there at Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, other believers. He starts telling them all of the good things that God had done as the gospel was preached to the Gentiles. And he's there, and while he's telling this, he goes to the temple, and some religious people, some Jewish religious leaders, they want to kill Paul, so they get the crowd turned against him. In fact, they tried to kill him, but the Roman soldiers, a couple hundred or more Roman soldiers came out, broke up the riot, if you will, got Paul, put him in, in bonds, put him in chains, and they're leading him up, uh, probably the Antonia Fortress there. They're leading him back to their, their, their jail, if you will, and, uh, and, and they're leading him. And while they're doing that, Paul stops and says, can I address the crowd? I want to give a defense for who I am, why I am, what I've done, why I'm doing what I've done, and I want to talk to them for a while. And our passage this morning finds us where Paul is speaking to this crowd that has turned against him, has tried to kill him, is ready to put him to death, and he's in bonds and he's in chains, and what he does is he shares his conversion story. He shares how, his li- his, how he went from death unto life. He shares how his life was completely changed, and he tells them, I was once like you trying to kill Christians, but God changed everything about me. He shares, if you will, the story of his spiritual awakening. And this morning, I want us to to look at a message I've entitled, Wake Up, Characteristics of a Spiritual Awakening. Wake up. The most of the rest of this book, Acts 22 to Acts 28, as we continue through here verse by verse, it's going to be Paul on defense, if you will, Paul defending his faith. And this morning we're going to look at, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 1 and see where we're at. Let's pick it up in verse 1, Acts 22, Paul is bound, he's, he's been taken into custody, he's standing there, and, and it says in verse 1, men, brethren, and fathers— Hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they had heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, verse 3, I am verily a man, truly I am a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus. It is the Jews that are putting him to death. He's saying, I know what you believe. I was brought up in the same stuff. Born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, a very respected uh, Jewish rabbi, teacher, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as you all are this day. I was just like you. And I persecuted this way. What way? The way of Christ. Those following Jesus. By the way, all ways don't lead to God. 
All paths don't lead to heaven. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is only one way to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And, and so don't get it confused in, all, in our politically correct desire uh, to just kumbaya and get along with everybody. To, well, just as long as they're sincere and they believe it really deep in their heart, whatever it is they believe, I think their, their good works will get them there. Paul said, there's a specific way that I was living, and I used to persecute this way the way of Christ. I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. He starts telling his, his salvation testimony. He says, I was once like you trying to kill every Christian I could find. And I had letters from Jewish leaders. I had support from Jerusalem. And I was on the Damascus road. I was on the Damascus way. And I went and I was going to find Christians that, that were living for Christ. And again, my heart breaks. There are, from my understanding of what I've seen, there are modern day right now in Afghanistan and other nations, there are things where people are looking and saying, if you believe, like, if you believe in Christ, there is, you, you are punishable up to death. He said, that was me. I was going, and God on the Damascus road opened my eyes. He woke me up spiritually. I was dead. He made me alive. I want to give us a few characteristics of a spiritual awakening. Number one, I see here from Paul's words, to be awakened spiritually, you must be asleep. You must recognize your lost condition. To be brought to life, you must admit, I'm dead in sins. I need a Savior. We will never admit our need for a Savior if we don't acknowledge the bondage and reality of sin in our lives. Uh, we will never—you're not going to seek medical help unless you admit and understand, I'm sick. And, and you're not going to be awakened unless you realize, I'm, I'm, I'm asleep to the church at Laodicea. Christ said, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, we can have ourselves deceived. Everything's good in our lives when in reality, the exact opposite is true. Everything's good. I'm fine. I don't need God. Jesus, that's just a crutch. Church, that's just for those religious people. I don't need any of that stuff. And as long as we're in that space, we will never understand and realize and accept our need for a Savior. Paul said, that was me. I was walking along the Damascus Road. I was asleep spiritually. I was dead in trespasses and sins. I was working against God. I needed a Savior. If you don't admit your loss, you won't seek help to be found. You won't look to Christ for salvation. You won't accept new life in Christ until you realize you're dead in sins. May I say this as well? Christ didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Well, yeah, I kind of need, maybe he can, God can kind of come alongside and help me with this one thing that I haven't been really able to figure out. No, all of our righteousness, the Bible says, is his filthy rags. We're nothing without him. I want you to continue in the passage. Look at verse number six, if you will. And it came to pass that as I made my journey, I was going to find some Christians to put to death. 
and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Would you read verse 7 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Number two, characteristics of a spiritual awakening. Number one, we have to admit we're asleep. We need help. We can't do it on our own. Number two, we must, you must be confronted by your sin, about your sin. Jesus himself shines a light from the Damascus road and says to Saul, why are you living the way that you are? Why are you fighting against me? Why won't you say yes to me? Saul, how long will you, if you read this in Acts chapter number eight, I think it is, how long are you going to kick against the pricks, the pricking of your heart? How long are you going to resist my, my conviction of sin in your life? And may I stop and say this here, if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that your sins have been forgiven, that His mercy is real in your life, how long are you going to resist that? How long are you going to reject His free gift of eternal life? Before we'll ever be awakened spiritually, we must be confronted about our sin. He was confronted directly about His personal sin. Saul, why do you persecute me? I know what you're doing. Why are you doing it? Confronted about his sin. Modern religion doesn't like to call out sin in 2021, do we? Anything goes, doesn't it? Love is love. Live your truth. As long as you don't hurt anybody, do whatever makes you feel good. Whatever gender you think you are, you are. You can be an L, a B, a G, a T, a Q, whatever new letter they come up with next year. If it makes you feel good, do it. You are your own authority. Who is God to tell you what to do? The Bible is just a book of fairy tales after all, right? It might not be a popular message in 2021, but may I say this morning, there is still such a thing as right and wrong, good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. God is still against murder and lying and adultery and greed and gluttony and lust and anger and self-righteousness and fornication and covetousness and deceit and abuse and wrath. Sin does still need to be preached from our pulpits and avoided in our lives. We do still need to be confronted about our sins. One of the, 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 the nation's largest churches the pastor literally told on a national news interview, he said, sin is not on the menu at our church. You'll never, be, you'll never understand your need for a Savior until you understand the con condition of your, your life because of sin. If there's no sin, there's no need for a Savior. Before Paul, Saul became Paul, he had to be confronted about his sin. It may not be comfortable, and we may not like it, but God is still, He still deals with sin according to what His Word says. According to this book, anything doesn't go, and everyone doesn't automatically get to spend eternity in heaven. Only those who are confronted in their sin, that believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that Christ is Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Don't buy into this postmodern, post-Christian lie that truth is relative, ethics are situational, and morality is individual. It's up to you to, to decide. May I remind us, there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only the truth, and his name is Jesus. I know that's not a popular message today, but by the way, it wasn't a real popular message in Paul's day either. They wanted to kill him for it. 
And he said, let me tell you, I was like you. And the only difference is not that I, I went to some self-help seminar. The difference between you and me now is not that I have some talent or some skill or some ability or that I'm, I'm better than you. The difference is I was confronted in my sin on the Damascus road and Jesus changed my life. Christ had to confront Saul in his sin before he would be awakened and completely transformed and become the apostle Paul. What does that awakening in us? Look at verse number eight, please. Verse eight. And I answered. So Jesus says, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. What will awaken us in our spiritually dead condition? You must be awakened by the word of God. Paul was awakened by the living word, the words of Christ himself on the Damascus road. It is the word of God that is the power of God unto salvation. That's why in our church, we must make much of the word of God. That's why you've heard me preach about my commitment uh, to seeking to be a, a scriptural, most of the time expositional preacher. Why? Because you've heard me say it. If I've said it once, I've probably said it a hundred or a thousand times. If there's any power in anything that I preach, it's not in my personality or in my opinions or in my traditions or in my preferences or in my illustrations. If there's any lasting power in anything that is preached from this platform, the power comes from the word of God. It is only the word that can transform a life for eternity. Paul was awakened by the living word, and he wrote later to the Romans in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Our faith comes from hearing the word of God. Romans 1, 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Jesus said, I am the way, the living word, the truth, the life. We must make much of the Word of God in our lives, in our daily living, in our homes, in our child rearing, in our Christian school, in our marriages. It is only by the Word of God we can be made alive. What does the Bible say? The Word of God is quick. That means alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word. Thy Word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy Word. If you and I, we don't just want to flip over a, a new spiritual leaf. We don't just want to try a new self-help religious TED Talk. If we want to see true transformation in our lives, it must come from the Word of God. You're hearing the Word this morning. By the way, as you've heard the word of God, you're without excuse. He loved us so much that he gave his son for us that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Number four, what are the characteristics of a spiritual awakening? One, we said you have to be asleep. You have to admit your need for a savior. Two, you, you're gonna, you need to be confronted about your sin. You must be awakened by the word of God. Number four, you must accept him as Lord. You have to make a decision Look at verse number 10, the first, oh, what is that? Seven, eight, nine words to the question mark. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? He recognized him as Lord. Okay, you've confronted me in my sin. Now what? I recognize you are the one that can change my life. You are the one that can save me. I'm leaving all of my religious traditions behind. I'm leaving my powerful position in the Jewish religion behind. 
What now, Lord? Has there ever been a time and a place in your life that you accepted him as Lord? You said, I can't do this on my own. I can't get to heaven in my own power or in my own strength. I can't live this life on my own. What now, Lord? Do you see it there? What shall I do, Lord? It's a personal decision. Nobody can make that decision for you. Just because you've heard the good news, just because you have some form of mental assent to the good news, does not mean that you have accepted the good news. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. They have some mental assent. They believe that, that Jesus is God, but, but, they, but they, they've not made him Lord in their lives. They've not made that personal decision. I, I accept you by faith as my Savior. And if you're here this morning, when was that time and place when you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone as your personal Savior. For me, it was May 22nd, 1988. The first time I walked into a Bible preaching church, my mom and I walked in, and, and you've heard me tell the testimony many times. There was a man that at that time was a little younger than I am today, and he stood up on that Sunday morning. My mom's coworker had invited us. First time as a nine-year-old boy, I had ever heard the gospel of Christ. And he preached from John chapter number three, marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. You need new life spiritually. You need to be awakened. You need to be brought to life. And it was that day that I placed my faith and trust in Christ alone. I said, what shall I do, Lord? I believe. I believe that you died to save me. I'm placing my faith and trust in you. None of us can make that decision for someone else. It has to be a personal faith, a personal relationship. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you're not saved here this morning, what's holding you back from saying, yes, God, what shall I do, Lord? I give up my past. I give up where I was going. I'll let you guide and direct my life. Number five, characteristics of a spiritual awakening. Number five, you need the help of the people of God. Look at verse number 10, please. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. God gave him the first step, and then he said, I'm going to have some people that are going to help you. Verse 11, And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, you're in my family. Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see the just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Do you see it in this passage? The people of God helped Paul see what he needed to see. They helped Paul go where he needed to go. They helped him learn what he needed to do. And they helped him be who he was supposed to be for God's glory. Christian, believer, church member, guest, visitor, the Christian life was never intended to be lived in isolation. We need each other. That's why in three weeks we're launching our, our community groups on Wednesday nights. My prayer is that every, and we're, watch, we're launching our service teams. My prayer is that every member, every person in our church will be involved in one or more of those. Why? We need each other. You don't find anywhere in the New Testament Christians growing in their faith and, and really doing anything outside of the community of the local church. 
We're to pray for one another. We're to care for one another. We're to help each other. We're to confront one another. We're to hold each other accountable. We're to teach each other. We're to open the Bible and grow together and and break bread together. God wants us to live in Christian community. And and Paul, long before he was preaching the gospel, he, he had surrounded himself. He had other believers around him that were helping to guide him. The next two Sundays, we have the enrollment Sundays for our groups and teams. And I I hope that that some of you maybe will go beyond just a 10 a.m. spectator of the service and jump into the life of the church. I'm not a commissioned salesman. I don't want you to jump into the life of the church so that I don't get any kind of a raise from headquarters for how many people are serving or how many people are coming to groups and growing and, and building relationships. Why do I want that? Because I know the power of Christian community. I can't tell you how many people have helped me along my path to where I need to be today that helped guide me and teach me and and folks that I can go to in times of need and in times of struggle and in times of victory. Nothing in the believer's life in the New Testament was done without the community of the local church. Then lastly, the last verse we'll read. Would you read verse 16 aloud with me? Ready, begin. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. By the way, you compare Scripture with Scripture. This is not a verse supporting baptismal regeneration. I could spend a a, a whole other message talking about that. But as you study Scripture, baptism, what John did today, he did not get any closer to heaven today because of what he did there. He was, had, had the Lord called him home yesterday, he would have gone to heaven. The same baptism, and you can see it. You see it with Jesus with the thieves on the cross. He said to the one who, who places faith in Christ, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he never got baptized. Baptism is a public identification of a personal decision. It's a step of obedience. And I don't want to spend too much time there, but don't get caught up. Um, they're, they're baptismal regeneration. There's, you do not have to be baptized to be a Christian, to be saved. But God did make it as the, the first step of obedience in our Christian growth, in our Christian journey there. And I want you to see from verse 16, characteristics of a spiritual awakening. Wake up. Your awakening should be followed by obedience. Your awakening should be followed by obedience. He said in verse 16, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? You need to to jump in and start doing the things that Christians do. You have a relationship with Christ. What are you waiting for? Go get baptized. We'll see it in, in the coming chapters. He starts preaching pretty quickly. Now, he still had several years. He wasn't missionary Paul for another decade or so. There were years of development, but he goes, what's next? What do I need to do now? What what are you waiting for? Go get baptized. And may I say this? If we've been saved, our salvation should be followed by obedience. James said it this way. He He said, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith by your works. What is he saying? Somebody that has been saved is going to want to have and is going to naturally produce fruits of the Spirit is going to see changes in their life. We don't change our life for salvation. We don't do good works for salvation. We do good works from salvation. It's an inside-out Christianity. Because of what's inside of us, it changes what's outside of us. The ways that we walk and talk and serve and love and pray, the ways that we treat our family, all of those things. Your awakening should be followed by obedience. We have three teenagers in our house, a 19-year-old and about a month, 17 and 15. Ashlyn, Titus, and TJ, how many of you either have or have had teenagers in your home? You may relate to this, this story, this illustration here. 
We will say sometimes in the morning, now most of our kids actually get up fairly early most mornings without anything, but sometimes we'll say, hey kids, one of their names, wake up. And then it's like five minutes later, hey, did you see Titus? No, I haven't seen him yet. Have you seen TJ? Hey, Tej, wake up. Ten minutes later, wake up. Three hours later, <laughs> wake up. And what do they almost always say as they're laying there, drool coming down? What do they say? I am awake. No, I don't think you are. Wake up. I am awake. Well, you might be awake, but you're really of no productive value to the world at this point. You're not any different than when you were asleep. Am I right? You're not accomplishing what you are supposed to be accomplishing today. We've got somewhere to go. We've got this. We've got that. And what do we tell them? Get out of bed. Make your bed. Go get your breakfast. Take your shower. Brush your teeth. Whatever. What do we tell them? Go do the things that you need to be doing what you're supposed to be doing today. And I believe, I fear, in, in, in all across the world, around the world, we have many Christians that God is saying, wake up. And we're, we're laying there saying, I am awake. Oh, I got saved. I've trusted Christ as Savior. But we've never gotten out of bed and done anything productive. We don't give. We don't serve. We don't read his word. We don't pray. We've been saved for a month, a year. Wake up. I am awake. A decade. Wake up. I am awake. You're really not much different than when you were asleep. Oh, you, you might be eternally different, and I'm not discounting salvation. We might be on our way to heaven, but what do we see in Paul's life? And you can read James, read the whole New Testament. When we have been awakened spiritually, God wants us to walk in the ways of Christ. He doesn't just want us, it, what does the Bible say? What is it Jesus likened, I think? It was Jesus that likened either Jesus or Paul. I'm forgetting right now. I believe it was Jesus and maybe both of them. When you get saved, it likened it to the physical analogy of you're a newborn baby in Christ. You know, there's nothing wrong with a newborn baby who can't drive a car, who can't ride a bike, who can't feed themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't take a, a two-week-old baby to the doctor and say, Doc, what's wrong? My, my, my kid can't do algebra. What's wrong? They're not walking. They're not running. But do you know if you have a child that's two or three or four years old that still can't crawl or walk, guess what? We'll take them to the doctor, won't we? Something's not right. Their development isn't happening as we expected it to. It's not going the way we thought it would or should. And there's something wrong there. Why? Because there's natural development that, that for a healthy, and I understand at times there are special needs. I have a special needs brother in my family. At times God makes people differently and their development isn't the same. But typical development, there are kind of some of these mile markers and milestones. This is in typical development. This is where you, this person should be talking and they should be walking and maybe learning to ride a bike and learning to swim and, and, and learning how to drive and doing those things. And what's wrong with that development? If you had a 15-year-old that had never uh, been able to walk or crawl, you probably have been to the doctor many, many, many times. What's wrong with my child's development? And here's the question for all of us that have been born in Christ. We're newborn babes in Christ when we get saved. Here's the question, how are we growing? James, again, made it very clear, faith without works is dead. As one southern preacher said, 
God didn't save us to sit, soak, and sour. He saved us to, to serve, to grow in him, to grow in love, to grow in consecration, in involvement, in giving, in service, in prayer, in knowledge, in grace. All through the New Testament, grow in grace. Grow in this grace also. Grow in your generosity. Grow in your love for God. Grow in your service to God. Grow in your giving. Grow in these things. And again, when we're saved, the Bible likens us to newborn babies, but then it challenges us to grow. Church family, it's okay to be an immature Christian. It's okay to be an immature Christian. It's not okay to stay an immature Christian. Have you grown in the last three months? Have you grown in the last year? Have you grown in your Christian walk internally and let that flow externally? What, what are you waiting for? Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What, what are you waiting for? Get saved and follow the Lord and believers' baptism. And, and then he's going to go and he's going to continue to give his defense. But he'll, you'll see if you go back to Acts 9, he preached and began to preach the gospel. What is the next step that God is calling you to here if you're here this morning? You're here this morning. Is there any that you're here this morning and you say, I don't know for sure if I died that I'd go to heaven. I've never been awakened by the Spirit of God spiritually. I've never trusted Christ as Savior. Is, is that your next step of salvation? Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day you need to say, I'm placing my faith. What now, Lord? I'm placing my faith in you and you alone. I'm making you my Savior. My, I'm putting, uh, making a personal decision to accept Christ as my Savior. Maybe you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. Why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? Maybe it's faithful church attendance. What, what are you waiting for to follow in obedience? Maybe it's regular Bible study. Grow in grace and in the knowledge, the Bible says. Grow in your knowledge. How are you going to do that? How are you going to learn more? Read more. We have, we have more Christian content available than any generation has ever had in, in the history of the world. There are, there, and be careful because not all of them are, are good, godly, healthy, biblical teachers. Be discerning. And if you're not sure, talk to one of us and maybe ask, what do we think about this? But, but I, I've mentioned two of my pastor friends that I've recommended their podcasts throughout 15 minutes each. The reason I've recommended them is because I know both of them are faithful to scriptural uh, preaching and, and interpretation and application. One I was with last week in Virginia. I preached at his church, Kurt Skelly. He has a podcast called Everyday Truth. 15 minutes a day, you can, you, he walks you through a book of the Bible. That might be something as you drive to church every week, or I'm, I'm sorry, to, to, to work every day, or you go jogging or running, a 15-minute podcast. The other is uh, Enjoying the Journey by uh, uh, evangelist Scott Pauley uh, that we had preach here last summer. And uh, both of, listen to one of those and see, do you connect with either one of them? Those aren't the only two good Christian podcasts out there, but both, uh, both of them are about 15 minutes a day. They're going to give you a couple of verses a day and, and walk you through that. Grow. How's your time in the Bible? If the only—I'm thankful for our church, and I'm thankful for the preaching in our church. I've mentioned that already. But if the only time you're eating spiritual food from God's Word is on Sunday, you're going to be very unhealthy. The Bible calls it the milk and meat of the Word. I didn't use this analogy. God used this analogy of our physical food and health. If the only time you're getting any scriptural content in your lives is on Sunday, it would be like the only time you eat physically is on Sunday. How would your health be? you'd be pretty hungry and pretty sick. 
daily time. What's your next step? Salvation, baptism, church attendance, Bible study, uh, uh, Christian community, those, those small groups that we're starting, regular times of service. Thank you to all those that came out yesterday and served at four different Southern California churches. What a joy it is to take some of the resources, time, talent, treasure God's given us, and use it to make an eternal impact. How are we doing in growing? After salvation, Paul was immediately baptized. He began to grow. He started to serve. He began to preach Christ. And about a decade later, he was sent out on his first missionary journey. Sometimes we read Acts and we lose sight of time. And we think it all happened quickly. And we look at our own Christian lives and it doesn't happen that fast. I've been saved for a year or two or five or 10 and I'm not a missionary and I'm not, I'm not turning the world upside down for Jesus. God has called all of us to a different journey. But here's the question, are you growing? Are you growing in him? Are you becoming more like him or more like yourself, the flesh, the world? Are you being changed into his image? Is your mind being renewed, cleansed by the word of God? We read Acts and think it all happened quickly. It didn't. It took decades. What we read and in, in what we've studied in Paul's life, it covered a course of decades. Stay faithful. Keep going. Keep growing. Step by step. Little by little. It's not all going to happen overnight. God's work of grace in our life is immediate at salvation, but his continuing work of grace in sanctification is a lifelong journey. Don't forget that. I'm going to say that one more time and I'm almost done. God's work of grace in our life is immediate at salvation. Once saved, always saved. But his work of grace and sanctification is a lifelong journey. What's your next step of obedience? Are you saved? If not, let today, what are you, what are you waiting for? Let today be the day of salvation. Let God stop you in your tracks, confront you in your sin, and accept him as Savior. Are you baptized? If not, take care of that. Are you growing? Are you faithfully attending a local church? Are you plugging into the community of that church? Are you giving? Are you serving? God can completely change your life. That's what we see in this passage. Forgive you of your past, step into your present, transform your future, and change you for eternity if you let him. But what do you have to do for a spiritual awakening to take place? You got to be asleep. There was a time, Paul said, I was just like you, dead in my sins, asleep to the knowledge of God. But God turned on the alarm clock on the road to Damascus. God flicked on the bedroom light and he woke me up. He did it by confronting me in my sin. He did it through the wonder working power of the word of God. I had to personally decide to accept it. Then I surrounded myself with godly people that helped me on my journey. And then I took steps of growth regularly until we look back. And sometimes again, we think it's like over the course of a year, over the course of decades, we see, wow, persecutor Saul, preacher Paul. God's not going to do the exact same thing as far as you're not going to go to Greece maybe and, and start a bunch of churches. It might not look exactly the same, but the process in your life and in mine can be exactly the same. God can wake us up, completely transform us, and change everything about our past, present, and future, if we'll let him. Wake up. Wake up. What an encouraging passage. Today, if you're here without Christ, get saved. If you're here with Christ, let's be challenged. Was there a spot there where the Spirit of God convicted you as you heard it? I need to take that next step of obedience. I need to start growing in that area. 
I need to admit my need for a Savior. I need to plug into gospel community. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.